Support this podcast and keep us going. Go to everydaynovelist.com support to join up. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 894. Today we have a follow-up question from Herbert on Westerns. Herbert says... The Western, as a genre, is defined by values such as strong versus weak, good versus evil, civilization versus the wilderness, and the individual inside-outside of society. None of these are specific to the U.S. West of the Mississippi between 1865 and 1890, although some are classically American, especially the last. What are some Westerns not set in the Old West? How would you go about writing Westerns, stories touching these values, in a different setting? Uh, check out uh, the films of Akira. Uh, 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 Akira Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah. It's Akira is not his first name. What's his was his first name? I don't know, but I think you're talking about Kurosawa. I'm talking about Kurosawa. Yeah. Check out the films of Kurosawa. Some of the best westerns that weren't westerns. Um, most of the, in fact, uh, a great number of of the spaghetti westerns were unauthorized remakes of the Kurosawa films, especially The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, being a remake of Yojimbo, if I remember correctly. And, of course, Star Wars was a remake of The Hidden Fortress. Um, Kurosawa did it wonderfully, and it's one of the few... I mean, he was influenced by the U.S. Western, obviously, but the particular constellation of cultural factors that went into making up the mythic period of the American West are unique. Um, and they're not unique in that no one's ever had those conflicts before, but having those conflicts all in one place is pretty unique. The American West was this strange world that was simultaneously a post-apocalyptic landscape in two different ways. And a field of conquest and the beginning of a new civilization hewn from the wilderness. You don't have much of that in the rest of history happening all at the same time. Little bits here and there, um, but I don't know any of the... I don't know any of any great novels or the the equivalent in the time frame written in the wake of the Mongol hordes, for example. Mm-hmm. Which would be another another time all those factors came together. The U.S. period right there comes right after the Civil War, which was an apocalyptic event in terms of the number of people it killed. It destroyed Southern civilization. It came at the tail end of the Indian Wars, which were um, wars of conquest raged after an apocalypse had happened. Um, for the North Amer- for the Native North Americans, and it came in sideways on another set of wars of conquest that were being waged by the Comanches against the other Indian nations at the time. So you have everything in the period that you get from uh, the Roman period and from the fringes of the British Empire and from the Black Death 
you get all of that stuff mixed up together with the end of slavery and with the largest, fastest growth in economic prosperity in human history before or since. That strange time when, for the price of a small family car, you could pack the kids up from New York, take them out in a Canastoga wagon out west, and within a year be in profit exporting grain down the Mississippi on a patch of land that no one had ever farmed before. So you've got a little bit of the you know, of the sense of the old world where everyone's on their own and these disparate agricultural establishments, but they're hooked into an imperial-sized trade network. So they're getting getting the benefits of civilization without a lot of the downsides. So it is actually an incredibly unique period in history. Now, there is another place where all of that comes together, but it's not a historical period. It's a fantastic one. You see the same kinds of stuff in the Conan stories and uh, the whole universe built by Robert E. Howard and his followers, and especially in science fiction. Science fiction is what happens when the Western becomes obsoleted by the Space Age, but the Space Age opens a new frontier. Space, the final frontier, if you will. Golden Age science fiction and those who have carried on that part of the literary tradition from the Golden Age, which is different from the New Wave in all of its concerns, is very much the space western. That's why, even though uh, Firefly seemed really unusual and exciting, it seemed to work so well. Because it was actually, as a space western set not long after a civil war, it was going back to the roots of science fiction. Or at least the roots of American science fiction. British science fiction was uh, a different beast in the late 19th century, and although it influenced American science fiction quite a lot, the American science fiction that grows up starting in the early 1930s and carrying through even till today in some forms, that's your current Western genre um, that's not set in the Old West. Now, uh, that said... There is a literary tradition that underlies the Western um, that's more basic than the Western or science fiction that might be worth looking into, and that's melodrama. The thing that makes the Western stick, that makes it so mythic, is that it's melodramatic. And, of course, that brings in the revisionist Westerns as anti-melodramatic. The basic difference between melodrama and and anti-melodrama is the way the characters develop. In melodrama, you have good and evil, and good is always good, and evil is always evil, and good usually triumphs over evil after a long, hard struggle. Very, very archetypal. It's George Lucas type of stuff, except that in the prequels, George Lucas made things much more complicated. It's very Harry Potter type of stuff. Melodrama was very, very popular in the late 19th century, both in uh, Britain and in the United States throughout many, many subgenres of literature. Anti-melodrama is what happens when your characters switch roles. The hero becomes the villain. The villain becomes the hero. 
the victim becomes the hero and the villain becomes the victim. So that the moral considerations and rules that each are bound by are interchangeable and the questions and issues that they deal with are much more complex. The quintessential anti-melodramatic Western in film is Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, which can be very much seen as a direct reply to the spaghetti westerns. And if you watch the spaghetti we- actually if you watch the spaghetti westerns as his straight they're they're like straight classic westerns but with a much harder edge than your John Wayne type of stuff. And then you move to Clint Eastwood's final two westerns which were Pale Rider and Unforgiven. Pale Rider is a direct reply to the classic western Shane. It's a recasting of Shane as an apocalyptic drama. It's almost a melodrama but not quite. It's a uh, it's it's a mythic drama in which the characters do swap roles and especially the hero turns out not to be what he appears to be. And at the end you're not quite sure if your hero is good or evil, even though he remains the hero. And then you move from that into Unforgiven, where the hero is every bit the rotten son of a bitch that the villains are. And in Unforgiven, the hero's journey is actually to redeem himself rather than to redeem the people that he was hired to protect, who he completely fails to protect, by the way. It's an incredibly brutal, dark film, and very, very good. So, looking at melodrama and anti-melodrama, you can take that strain of the Western and put it in any genre fiction, because most genre fiction is melodrama. Always has been, since the invention of genre. And uh, in that sense... The Western can be universalized. Thank you very, very much for the question, Herbert, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.